but now we're warmed up. I guess so. <laughs> My heart will go on. I suppose. Hello and welcome to the EDH RecCast, brought to you by the best deck building site on the web for the commander format, EDH Rec. My name is Joey Schultz and I'm joined today by my lovely co-hosts. First up, the Speedster, whose article series takes you from 60 to 100. It's Matt Morgan. You guys know what Thanos' favorite app on his phone is? What's that? Snapchat. (laughs) You know, Matt, on a scale of 1 to 10, I'd have to give that joke an 8. As in season 8 of Game of Thrones, so it's bad. Oh, you know, anyway, I, next, the man whose articles remind you to look in the margins, Dana Roach. My eyes may be mono blue, but my heart, mono black. Ah, love it. And I'm Joey Schultz, author of the Commander Showdown series. All these articles and more can be found at edhrec.com, along with some awesome featured community content, such as other Commander podcasts and gameplay videos. EDHREC itself is a fantastic deck building resource that compiles data from deck lists all over the internet to provide helpful recommendations for new Commander decks. And here on the podcast, we're going to give all that data a little more context. What is our topic this week, fellas? Monocolor versus multicolor. Yeah, kind of a weird topic, but frankly, I've seen a couple of people be a bit down about monocolor in Commander and say that it's just usually not going to be as good to play as multicolored decks. But I kind of want to make a staunch defense of monocolor because it's got a lot of tricks up its sleeves that I think we could all use a bit of reminding about. Yeah, for sure. Before we get started, though, we should shout out, hey, we just guessed it on John Dunning's show, The Hive Mind, and that was a bunch of fun. It was. It was a blast. It was a lot of fun to do, and the show, I think, turned out pretty good. Yeah, it did. Uh, John is probably the busiest man in all of magic content. Uh, He's always putting out great stuff, whether it's uh, Tiz Street Hooligans or his own show, or for some reason, he does a podcast with Jason Alt, our our (laughs) progenitor. Uh well, that's Who like knows? one of those things I think like if you're a lawyer, you have to do, um, you know, X amount of like pro bono charity work. And I think that's kind of what that is that John does. Um, With he, Jason? Yeah, he does like so that's many podcasts. Yeah. And after like you do oh, five man. of your own, you have to do one for free for the um, for charity. So that's what the, one of Jason is. But yeah, he, I mean, he does a ton of stuff and it was just super cool actually being on his show. Uh, Dana, don't be surprised when Jason, our community content manager, uh, finally decides to fire you after saying something like that. <laughs> Dana's but I really already been appreciate fired. the hot take. <laughs> right, you're you're the one uh, who's due, Joey, for for allowing oh, for allowing me to say that. Oh man, what kind of backwards logic is that? I'm not on board with it. Let's move on. But actually, before we get to our main topic about monocolor and multicolor. I do want to quickly stop on Modern Horizons because these previews have been absolutely crazy. We'll be doing our set review next episode, of course, but just right now, what is one card that you guys are really, really excited about from Modern Horizons? Man, you're you're putting one card on me when this whole set is... (laughs) I'm really excited about this set. I know know just talking to you a little bit, you're kind of lukewarm depending on the day, but this set, oh, it's so good. Well, that... Yeah, that's just it. That's something when we were on the show last week with John Dunning, he asked us about our impressions of Modern Horizons and it was like day three of spoilers. And I was like, ah, you know, nothing's blown me out of the water. Well, then day four happened and day five and day six. (laughs) Like the spoilers since then have really caught up with me. So I'm eating my own words right now. This set looks really bonkers. Like it just took a couple more days of of previews for that to finally hit me. I'm glad you came to your senses. Well, it's not just that there's a bunch of good cards, although there definitely is. But there's this whole weird, like, 
2 a.m. public access show vibe, the whole thing, where you're like, is nobody paying attention to what's being aired at this local cable channel right now? And that's what this set feels like. Like, no one's, no one in management is aware of what's being released. It's just a bunch of weird mechanics and weird cards and like, oh, what the heck? Let's throw, you know, flanking onto a card that also has Outlast. Like, there's just, it's, it's throwing stuff against the wall to see what sticks and... It's amazing. Yeah, it definitely feels like an ode to Time Spiral. It's a lot of fun. But you guys are avoiding the question. <laughs> One card that you're really excited about, go. I'm just trying to buy myself time to pick. That's really <laughs> yeah. all I'm doing. I mean, see, like, here's a really lazy, easy, boring answer. We finished the Talisman cycle. Yeah, those are really, really yeah, good. Plus Talismans the... tap for mana, deal damage to you. But who cares? We finally have them in enemy colors. Right, yeah. That's amazing. Like... It's boring, but those are going to go in so many decks, and there are so many people out there that are just right now, you know, tonight going, oh, well, I guess I have to find room for this artifact because I'm obviously jamming into my enemy color deck. Yeah, that one's amazing. My personal favorite so far is probably the white elephant gift card. Yeah. So that's generous gift, two and a white for an instant. And it's basically just beast within. You destroy Tucker permanent, and its controller creates a 3 3 green elephant creature token. It's. Like, that's so amazing. I love that Wizards finally came to their senses and realized that Beast Within is not a green effect, that it should be a white effect. I expect this to see a lot of play. I think any deck that has white really wants this ability. It's so good. For sure, yeah. It's going in almost any white deck I'm running, I think. Um, I think Young, young Yawgmoth is pretty pretty amazing. Yeah, Yawgmoth for, for Commander... It, I saw it and I was like, I, I don't see how this fits into an existing modern deck or legacy yeah. deck, but but for Commander, it's definitely a flavor win. It's very, very cool. All right, Matt, have you had enough time? Have you picked a card that you're really looking forward to? Um, I really like Winds of Abandon. I know a lot of people were kind of grumpy and so-so about it, but I think it's very, very cool um, being able to get rid of a bunch of creatures, exiling them, gets around the destroy. Um, so it's a pretty... Pretty cool board wipe. It has the 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 parallels to Cyclonic Rift, sure, but yeah, one sided board right. wipe and white is always something that you want to run if you can do that. That's fantastic. Yeah, it's sort of like a one sided path to exile every creature you don't control or something. Essentially, like that? yeah. yeah. It's, it's um. Oh, we'll just, we'll just read it. Why not? Uh, one in a white for sorcery exile target creature you don't control for each creature exiled this way. Its controller searches their library for a basic land. Uh, doesn't say where it goes though. Oh no! Players put the put on the battlefield tapped, then search the, or shuffle their library. Um, but it has an overload cost for four and white white, so an overload for six, um, and you can path their board essentially. Um, I think that's pretty cool. I think the most EDHiest of EDH cards, uh, Unbound Flourishing, is very very cool. That doubles all the X's and the cast of the cost that you play, and then also for abilities yeah. and spells. And yeah, that one's definitely if there's really a, good. Yeah, Riku decks are just rejoicing everywhere because if it does something with an X, you basically get another version of it, which is so nutty. Or Roshin Meander, or any deck that has Hydras. Yeah, it's definitely going pretty crazy. But man, we have to pull ourselves away from this subject. We are diving too deep into Modern Horizons. We will have to wait till our set review next episode. For now, I think we need to get back onto our topic about monocolor and multicolor. That's fair. I, I, I suppose we can we can get into that. <laughs> All right. And as a reminder, we will be recording that next episode, the set review for Modern Horizons, in person when we go to Magic Fest Kansas City. 
Yes. There will be so much barbecue in our bellies <laughs> for that episode. Matter of fact, by the time this show airs, we will already be, at least Matt and I will be there, and I think Joey will be in the air on his way. Yeah, exactly. So that should be a bunch of fun. Listeners, if you're listening to this on the day that it releases and you happen to be in Kansas City, come find us, play a game, help me defeat Matt and Dana. It won't be that hard. Just somebody come in and cast a rest in peace so I don't have to. <laughs> okay, let's actually get into our topic about monocolor versus multicolor. Let's first start off with why some people occasionally poo-poo monocolor. There are occasionally some problems that could happen that you might run into that are unique to a monocolor deck that you might not see when you're playing two or three or four or five colors. Uh, the first one that initially jumps out to me, for example, is that a monocolored deck in EDH is going to be enormously weak to color hate effects. So, for example, if someone plays Iona Shield of Ameria and names green and you're playing a mono green deck, you're kind of in trouble. You're up the creek without a battle right there. There's almost no getting out of that because now Iono has completely shut off your deck. Or if you're playing mono black and you come up against someone who's playing Animar Soul of Elements who has protection from black... Well, it's got protection from your deck now. So that is one of those problems that could arise when you're playing a monocolored deck. Yeah, that's definitely something. I like. I think that is overblown a little bit. I, I honestly can't think of the last time I saw an Iona, um, although Animar does see a lot of play. But yeah, that kind of thing does happen. And it happens even at, the, at, at a low level. It's not even just those guys. You get weird things like someone drops a Frexian Crusader or something and you're like, oh, I just can't interact with that at all. Or they, you know, they throw a sword on something. One of the right you know, swords are a big one. Yeah, and you're like, oh, well, that's just something that I can never deal with, and I have to hope somebody else is going to have some pity on me. Yeah, those swords are not exactly unpopular either. Right. Like sword of feast and famine is really huge, and if you're playing black or green, like I always do, well, then yeah, you can be actually pretty much in trouble there. You're never able to interact with those. That's a really great point. Yeah. Um, in, in the next one, you have we have here on our list is colors have built-in weaknesses and in mono colors, you don't have other colors there to help you shore up those weaknesses. Um, the, the big example you always hear about, particularly red and black, they can't kill enchantments. So they have to rely on artifacts or colorless spells to deal with them. Um, you know, white it has for a long time really struggled with, with both ramp and with draw. Red's finally getting better at draw, but for a lot of years, if you're playing red, you had a tough time drawing in addition to being unable to deal with enchantments. Um, green really struggled dealing with creatures for a lot of years until fight became a thing. And even then, fight isn't the most efficient way for the most part to deal with creature removal. So most colors do have a weakness. And if you are in mono, you just have to deal with that weakness usually. Exactly. If I'm playing green, then I you know, might use, like if I'm playing Golgari instead or something, then I would be able to use black to shore up creature removal. And then green can shore up black's weakness of not being able to destroy enchantments because green is super good at that. And there's a nice color balance to that when you're playing with extra colors that can help get rid of those weaknesses. Yeah, it, it, I think that's mentally, it's also a weird thing where you have to just embrace the fact that I can't deal with this problem, so I just have to accept that. And I think that is a, that is something people really struggle with sometimes is accepting the fact that their deck is going to be unable to deal with some things. Yeah, I think when we looked at data on a much previous episode, this was a while back, but we saw that maybe around a fifth of the data on EDH rec was dedicated specifically to monocolored decks. So that does make it quite a lot less popular than other things. I think two color and three color especially are filling up a whole bunch of the popularity uh, for those. And so we do kind of see that there's a trend where, you know, 
more colors is going to be a lot more popular. Although with the four and the five color, that does sort of drop off. But people are definitely playing two and three color decks to shore up weaknesses for exactly these reasons, I think. Yeah, and I think the big thing is people, like like we said, people don't like knowing there's going to be a situation eventually that comes along that they can't answer. So I think that's one of the big reasons that discourages people from running monocolor decks. But with that said, this is really what we want to talk about, is that there are some benefits to playing monocolored decks as well. Sometimes they can outweigh those cases where someone has a sort of Feast and Famine or an Iona that shuts off your deck. There are a lot of things that colors can have access to when you're playing them just on their own that can really make up for any other of those weaknesses. So that's what we want to get into here, because they're pretty fascinating when you start to, you know, really, really think about them and scrutinize them pretty closely. Matt, what's our first note here about the benefits of playing monocolor? Well, you have more room for utility lands is the big thing. Uh, you can do stuff like uh, land destruction. If say, you want to overload on strip mine and tectonic edge, wasteland, ghost quarter, all those. Uh, all those colorless lands are much easier to overcome when you only have to worry about one color. Your color consistency and hitting your land drops and making sure you have all your colors available isn't really a, a, you know, a problem when all you're worrying about is getting mountains in your Valduck deck or getting forests in your Reki History Kamigawa deck. It's much, much easier to play some cards that can kind of shore up stuff. Say you're not playing red, so you don't have Stone Rain. You're playing, you know, mono blue, so you can play Strip Mine, get rid of those problem lands that other people will be playing. Right, and there's a bunch of utility lands. I mean, this is honestly probably one of the biggest motivations for me to want to play a monocolor deck. I mean, you mentioned a bunch of land destruction lands, but that's not where the utility lands end. We've got Reliquary Tower, Scavenger Grounds, Maze of Ith, the new Emergence Zone. Uh, I mean, like, there's just a whole ton of these amazing utility lands, but if I'm playing three colors, I don't want to run many of those. I just don't think that I can afford it. What if I get color screwed? I mean, the new Karn's Bastion from War of the Spark that you can use to proliferate, I think that card's great. And it sounds like it would go great in Atraxa, right? But Atraxa's four colors. I am nervous about playing Karn's Bastion in an Atraxa deck because what if I end up getting color screwed? I have four colors that I need to get my fixing in on and Karn's Bastion could really actually get in the way of that. Yeah, Reliquary Tower is especially a, a risky proposition. We've talked about that card several times. It, Getting over your max hand size every now and then will be relevant, but not enough to really, especially when we see it in four color decks all the time. It, not having any color access in that card with that effect that you may not be able to take advantage of, probably, I think, man, maybe somebody should write an article about that. <laughs> maybe. Just maybe. I think also that there are some types of lands that are really opened up even more in a monocolor deck, more than just some of these utility lands. For example, the cycling lands. I really, really like those. And I think that they flourish much more in a monocolor deck than in other types. I'm much more willing to play cycling lands and not just the ones that cycle for one uh, mana of whatever their color is, but also the ones that could cycle for two mana. Uh, you know, things like Forgotten Cave and then also, you know, the Drifting Meadow or all of those. Like, I think that those are going to be much more at home in monocolor decks or perhaps in two-color decks, but they don't, like, I, I don't want that type of thing happening in my multicolor decks because I would rather that my tapped lands get devoted to mana fixing instead. Uh, on top of that, I'd also like to give a shout out to the Guard Myriad Landscape, which cracks to go find two basics of the same name or the same type or whatever, like that's almost exclusively going to be useful in a mono, um, a monocolored deck because you're getting more fixing in exactly that one color. 
Yeah, mirrored landscape especially is one where I think people sometimes – like I've actually corrected people on multiple occasions in games when they crack their landscape and go grab one of each basic. And I have to say, oh, that's it's got to be one of the same color. Sorry. Um, so I think people actually don't even necessarily realize that. And that can be a difference. Like if you are counting on that in your two-color deck as being a way to fix, it doesn't. I mean, it, there are situations where it can. Like, right, yeah, if sure. you've got that and you're in your green-blue deck, then yes, you you only have fours right now. You could go get two islands or something. But it, there's just some minimal flexibility with that, whereas in a monocolor deck, you don't necessarily have to worry about that kind of thing. Some lands that provide extra colorless mana can also be really useful a bit more, I would say, in a monocolor deck such as Ancient Tomb or even Temple of the False God, which we're not huge fans of as a land. But like the fact that they provide extra colorless mana is pretty important i think when you start looking at a three or a four color deck that's not necessarily something that you'll always be able to capitalize on yeah and that even extends over into mana rocks i mean you know thran dynamo thought vessel mindstone those kind of cards that make you know multiple pieces of colorless mana um you know yeah there's definitely times when a thran dynamo tapping for three in a you know two or three color deck is perfectly great, but you're also going to get those times where you're like, oh, I just need colored mana out of this rock. I need one colored mana more than I need three colorless. And in a monocolored deck, that's almost never the case. Like You almost always have the lands that will take care of the colored mana for you, and those mana rocks work much better in those situations. Yeah, yeah that's a great one. Yeah, it's a couple other artifacts that kind of fill that that role too is the medallion cycle and the monuments like Kefnet's monument stuff like that, that that reduce the colors of your you know your blue spells your red spells whatever have you uh, those get much better too because you're able to cast multiple spells in a turn meaning that you're going to get more value from those rapid fire uh, you don't have to wait near as much you can you know you know if you get say three mana's worth of cost reductions a turn those things are are extremely powerful for the mana investment yeah, and it's just not going to be possible with the medallions and the monuments in a deck that is more than one color. That's just not going to happen. Yeah, because when you, when you know every single spell is going to be the same color, it's much, much easier to count on getting those pips reduced every turn. The biggest, just while we're on the subject of mana rocks that benefit in monocolor, the biggest example that I can think of, and this is going really big, that's Caged Sun or Gauntlet of Power. Because those make you pick a basic land type that will then double from there on out. When you play Cage Sun in a two-color deck, it feels pretty awkward. When you play it in a mono-white deck or something, oh, man, next turn you have like 12 or 14 mana. Like, that goes ridiculous. Yeah, although I will note here, um, to a degree, those do somewhat counter the notion that you can afford to run a whole bunch of non-basic lands. It's not, I'm, not yeah, saying you, I'm not saying you can't, but like one of the things I've kind of found in the couple decks I have that do run the um, mana doublers like Cage Sun or Gauntlet or Lens, um, I found it's I'm almost better off just running a ton of basics because the ability to double my mana is so, so powerful in those decks that I would rather just jam the basics. So I think that's one of the things you kind of do need to be a little cautious about and pay attention that if you're going to go that route, maybe you then do lose the ability to run so many of the utility lands. That's a great observation. I guess the thing that we should take away then is that in a monocolor deck, we have a lot more flexibility for either of those options. Yes, for sure. All right, so let's move on to another one of the 
benefits of playing monocolor, and that's frankly that you can manipulate a lot of those devotion mechanics. The first one that comes to mind, since we were talking about a bunch of mana, was Nykthos Shrine to Nyx, because that is a land that gives you mana equal to your devotion of the color that you choose. So if you're playing a mono black deck, or you're playing a mono red deck or something, and you've got a bunch of mono black pips or a bunch of red pips in play or something, then you can get a lot of mana using a Nykthos. Yeah, I mean, using my Reki deck, for example, because that's the one where I most frequently am tapping Nykthos, it's almost always like, okay, two mana, I'm going to tap my Soul Ring and activate Nykthos, four, one, two, three, four, four, sixteen? Like, that's a regular <laughs> thing that I do in that deck, um, and that's just never, ever going to happen in a two-color deck with Nykthos. Yeah, wow, 16, that's that's a whole lot. I feel like the most that I've ever gotten was like 8 off of a Nykthos in a mono black deck, but maybe I'm just worse at deck building. Well, I'll just, we'll just revisit this after Kansas City, and you can like be like, oh exactly. yeah, I remember when you did <laughs> uh, that. Take some notes, yeah. Well, but Nykthos isn't the only devotion card that I think is really impressive either. I mean, for example, in blue you have Master of Waves, and for each devotion you get a creature token, which is really great. In black, Grey Merchant of Asphodel can end games so quickly. If you've got eight black pips in play when you land the Grey Merchant of Asphodel, you're doing more work than a Coca show, and that is dangerous. In green, Karametra's Acolyte will give you mana equal to your devotion to green. Just little things like that are a really great way to take advantage of being in a monocolored deck because you're counting up all of those colored pips and then they do a bunch of work for you. Yeah, Great Merchant of Asphodel is it's a win condition on its own, really. Uh, I mean, frankly. Yeah, and, and I love Master Waves. I played that card in, in many formats, but yeah, all these devotion is a great way to just power up and I mean, when every spell costs green, it's much easier to count on having those pips in play compared to multicolor decks. It's the same thing, you know, same point as the medallions. It's so much easier to count on things that care about a certain color because every single spell that you cast or every creature that you have or enchantment, whatever, it's all going to count towards that devotion. So it's just so much easier to count on and and be reliable in a deck consistently. Speaking of colored mana symbols, we actually also should probably mention, you know, things that have multiple colored mana symbols of a single type. Uh, The things that are coming to my mind, for example, are like, uh, True Conviction or Phyrexian Obliterator, which has like, it costs black, 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 like those kind of spells as well. Yeah, I mean, you're not going to be able to play those in a two or a higher color deck. Those are, you know, very like Phyrexian Obliterator, I don't think belongs anywhere except in a mono black deck. I do love Phyrexian Obliterator, so I, I agree. Yeah, and, and True Conviction probably works in a two-color deck, but if you go in a three-color, I think you're stretching your luck. I mean, I, I do have True Conviction in a two-color Sphinx deck, and there are plenty of times it becomes tricky to cast because of that trip white cost. So, yeah, no, that's yeah. It, it's it's hard to do there, whereas I have a friend who's got a um, Odric 2.0 deck that often runs True Conviction, and it's just it's nothing. Like, it's it's just sick. You don't care. It's six mana, and he always has the trip white. Yeah, that or the original Teferi. War yep. of Invention has three blue mana symbols. Uh, Genesis Wave, you probably have enough mana in that particular deck that's making a bunch of stuff to take advantage of Genesis Wave, so maybe that one's a bad example. But just when you're looking at cards that have multiple colored yep. symbols in them, I mean, yeah, they're probably not going to show up in a three-color deck anytime soon. That is one of the benefits to being in a monocolor deck is just not having to worry about those mm-hmm. stringent mana costs. Yeah, uh, Insurrection and gratu- right. Gratuitous Violence are both trip red, and I've had issues with those plenty of times in two-color decks. Yeah, great examples. 
That also kind of brings us around to, just while we're on the subject of, you know, the mana symbols, we also should mention on-color activated abilities. Yeah, and there's a couple different ones here that we've got listed that in, in your mono colors are so much easier. Kamalthus Tecrosa has a couple different abilities. He has an overrun baked in, or he can turn all your lands into creatures. Uh, but the, the lands or creatures one, you know, it requires just a single green pip. And if you're playing in a two or three color deck, the odds of you having that much green mana lying around is pretty slim. Whereas a mono green deck, there's been a whole bunch of times when, you know, someone casts a Wrath of God and I just look down and I'm like, oh, I can literally kill every land that isn't mine right now because somebody wasn't paying attention. That's such a mean trick to turn all of their lands into creatures and then they've Wrath of God in their land base, which is really it's, mean. But yeah, that's way more viable in mono green than it is anywhere else. You know, and it's their own fault. Like, they, they, can, only, <laughs> they can only be mad at themselves. You're so cruel, Dana. That's so, so cruel. All right, there are a few other uh, on-color activated abilities that come to my mind as well. Uh, Memnarch, for example, requires a lot of blue for its ability to work. But also Chaina, uh, excuse me, Chainer Dementia Master, uh, which takes triple black to activate its ability to pull something out of the graveyard and make it a nightmare and then you know, reanimate a bunch of stuff and be really gross and awesome. But like th that takes a lot of colored mana of a very specific type. Yeah, and you just rarely see Chainer in a deck that isn't mono-black because of that. Exactly. Yeah, I mean, and that's why some cards that we, we I think we skipped over a little bit in the utility lands, uh, stuff like Cabal Coffers, you don't see that very often, well, unless it's paired with, say, uh, Urborg, doesn't do a, near as much outside of a mono-black deck. Oh, yeah. Oh, we will get to the color breakdown soon. <laughs> Cabal Coffers is a really huge one for sure. But yeah, that that also like if you are going to try and do that in a two color deck, that's going to be a little bit more difficult as opposed to, you know, just having a bunch of swamps naturally in a mono color deck. You don't have to go find herb work when you're playing, you know, a, a mono black deck. If you're playing three color, though, you're going to need to get the herb work and the cabal coffers. And that's probably going to take a little bit of time as opposed to the natural advantage of that in black. But promise that we'll get to that when we go into specific colors a little bit later. For now, we do want to get on to a few more general notes such as tribal, actually. Tribal can be really big for monocolor. It can be big and it can be just a lot easier to play in monocolor sometimes, particularly in terms of the mana requirements. And, and like, for example, one of the things you have noted here, Joey, is, is how much easier it is to cast some of the Sphinxes in mono blue if Unesh is your commander. That is 100% accurate as someone who plays a Sphinx tribal deck. Like, I have to run Chromatic Lantern in a two-color deck just because there's so many times that my mana requirements in, in two colors are completely screwed up because so many Sphinxes require double, if not triple, blue. I mean, frankly, yeah. When you told me that you had a two-color Sphinx deck, I was kind of like, oh, really? Because I was just so used to Inesh being such a good candidate for it instead, but that's a very mono-blue thing. I think that that cost reduction applies to a lot of different things, though. Uh, there are a bunch of colorless catch-all cards that are uh, very tribal-oriented, such as Urza's Incubator and Herald's Horn. And those reward you, much like Unesh, by reducing generic mana, but not by reducing colored mana. And that just makes them usually better when there are fewer colors. You know, uh, an effect like Urza's Incubator isn't going to reduce a cost that is blue and white. It would reduce, however, a cost that is just like one and a white, for example. So like those cards can also be much more beneficial when you're looking at tribes that are in single colors. Yeah, um, that, that's a really good point. And it, again, I think Ursus Incubator is a good one. 
if you go through and look, because I've done this before when I've had someone ask me to look at their deck before, um, there's a whole lot of decks out there that are multi-color running Urza's Incubator. And if you go down the list and count, you're like, you, it, it's only going to work on six creatures in this entire deck because of the way the colors are broke down in two color or three color. Whereas look at it in a monocolor deck and you're like, oh, it's going to work on, you know, 19 of your 22 creatures or something. So like, yeah, there's a couple of those that makes a huge, huge difference. Yeah. And also some tribes do flourish in monocolor more than others. Elves comes to mind. That is a very mono green thing, especially considering the original Azuri or goblins with Krenko. That is excessively good in mono red. Like some of those tribes are just very much at home in a specific color. And, you know, you can deviate into other ones as well, but you'll definitely find a very strong and compelling reason to stay in one color when you look at some of these other tribes. Yeah, I think the big thing is speed with some of those too, because you just named two very aggressive tribes. Uh, being able to know that all you need is green for elves or all you need is red for for goblins, you're not worrying about, you know, outside of a, an expensive mana base, making sure that you have all your colors so you're not trying to do double green on turn two and then triple whatever on turn four. You know, that's kind of the, the problem we talked about with Najila decks sometimes is they're doing double mana pips of of several different colors that you want to be doing on curve, which makes it kind of hard. So having that speed and consistency in monocolor decks is very, very relevant. We've got one more tip, sort of a general thing about a benefit to monocolor decks, and that's on the new forces. Matt, I know that you love these, so I'm definitely going to give this one right back to you. I definitely love these. But yeah, the, the, the new force cards, it's a new cycle coming out in Modern Horizons. Basically, the, the green force, for example, is a force of vigor where you can pitch a green card uh, and cast this on your opponent's turn for free, it's much, much easier to have these because, you know, for blue, you, you pitch another blue card or black, you pitch a black card, etc. Knowing that you're going to have a card of that color in your hand, it's much, much easier. Say you're playing a, an Animar deck, for example, and you have uh, the, the Force of Negation in your hand, but all you have is green and red cards. That then becomes a, a bad cancel. Well, not really a bad cancel, a cancel. Um, so yeah, it's, it's makes it much, much easier to know that you are going to have these cards around being able to, you know, enable these alternate casting costs in a monocolor deck when every single thing is going to feed into that. Yeah, those are really great ones. So those are just some general things around, you know, monocolor decks. I think there's only one other thing that I'd like to throw out here that we didn't touch on, and that's the card Endless Atlas, which I think rewards you for having land types that are all matching and all the same, and then it will let you draw cards. It's kind of a lukewarm card, but it is still another point that, you know, there are some benefits to playing, you know, just monocolor in these ways that you wouldn't be able to take advantage of in multicolor. But to get into a bit more of the nitty-gritty, to actually find some very concrete examples, let's break them apart by color. Let's look at some specific examples of cards that really excel in monocolored as opposed to in any, uh, you know, multicolored deck by looking at their specific colors. So we're going to start with white. Dana, I think you have a mono-white deck. You want to take this one away? I do. Um, there's a couple cards that really do definitely shine here. And the first one that jumps out at me is Amiria Shepherd. It's a, it's a landfall creature from Battle for Zendikar block. And whenever a land comes into play, you can return a card from your graveyard to your hand, excuse me, a permanent card. But if the land comes into play as a plane, you can put that card direct, that permanent directly into play. And if you're playing in mono white, it's probably just going to always be a plane. 
And, I mean, yeah. And there's, <laughs> That's so good. That's a really good ability. I'm the reanimator. I really like that ability. And Yeah. And I, I don't run this anymore um, in my mono white Planeswalker deck, but there were enough times with that where I would do something like I would manage to ult an Ugin and would get to put a you know, handful of permanents from my hand into play. And I would drop like four planes off Ugin just to bring four Planeswalkers from my graveyard straight back into play because of Mary Shepard. That sounds dirty. That's amazing. And it, it, I really and like it that. works really nice with the card we mentioned earlier, Myriad Landscape. Just go get those two planes off Myriad Landscape and drop it, and that's two of those planes triggers from Myriad Shepard. Speaking of Amiria, Amiria the Sky Ruin. That counts the number of planes that you have, and it will res- it will resurrect creatures if you have seven or more planes. That's not going to happen in a two-color deck, but it is much more likely to happen in a monocolored white deck. Yeah, in a two-color deck, that might, you know, take you, I don't even, I can't think of the last time I've seen seven planes in play in a two-color deck when the game went that long. But in a monocolor deck, seven planes is oftentimes just seven turns. Yeah, I mean, yeah a two-color deck has so many options for lands that it might have seven planes total in the right, deck, yeah. whereas in a monocolor deck, you'll have like 20-something. Yeah, when every single land that you're going to have in play, minus maybe a couple, is a planes it's much easier to count on all these types of effects. So there are also a few other cards that really do benefit white cards specifically, rather than just looking at their planes. They actually look at the color of their creatures. I'm thinking Honor of the Pure or Angel of Jubilation, which rewards you for having non-black creatures. And of course, you're going to have a bunch of white creatures. And it's also got like triple white pips. Like those are just way easier to play as well when you're playing mono white. Sort of small effects, but you know, a lot of small effects can sometimes add up to something really good, and that is something that white specifically can take advantage of on that front. The other thing that comes to my mind, mass calcify destroys all non-white creatures. That could be a blowout. It can yeah, be. It's, it, it's been my experience. The card really doesn't necessarily work as well as it looks like it will on paper. Um, be, like when you look at it, you think, "Oh, that's just going to hit," you know, the other four colors and not touch me. It doesn't really work that way because there's so many multicolored commanders out there. You wind up with somebody who's playing, you know, white-green and suddenly you realize, oh, it doesn't hit a bunch of their stuff. And seven mana is a lot. But there's probably also some people that play in certain metas where you're like, oh, my friend, you know, Bob only plays mono-red decks and his girlfriend, Stacy, you know, tends to play these two decks. Like there's probably metas where it's absolutely a blowout. Yeah, well, in that case, do you have any other recommendations for white spells that we should be using that do remove some stuff? I do kind of like Renounce the Guilds, which is one that forces your opponents to sacrifice a multicolor permanent. It's only two mana and it's instant speed, and it's never going to hit you because you're in mono white. And just very frequently you wind up with people, you know, you, you cast at the right time and they look around and like, oh, all I have out right now is my privileged position, so I guess that's gone. And somebody else, you know, they only have... Their commander in play, who's two color, so like it's it's something that you almost always get pretty good value out of, and it's instant speed and two mana. It's really easy to run in a mono white deck. Well, I mean, while we're on that subject, what about Ravnica at War? That's three and a white for a sorcery. Exile all multicolored permanents, and it's exile. Yeah, that's and it's never going to touch you ever. In 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 mono white, at least. Yeah, that just sounds absolutely fantastic, and I think you're right when we look at the top commanders of all time. I mean, a lot of those look multicolored. I think, is it 100% of the top commanders of all time are multicolored? I think it is. It sounds I like believe they are. a lot yeah. of targets. Yeah. Yeah. All right, so those are some great options for white, but 
What about blue? When we look to mono blue, are there any specific cards that jump out at us there? Um, I mean, the big one, obviously, is High Tide. That's kind of legendary for, you know, your Mizzix players wanting to combo off. Um, you can pair that with cards like Frantic Search and all those spells that untap your lands. So you say you play High Tide, so all your mana from Islands only is doubled. Then you make some mana, untap stuff. Maybe you're, you're playing Teferi because you're a bad person. Uh, untap <laughs> some more Islands, make some more wow. mana. Uh, I mean, High Tide is is probably probably the one of the better known cards of that ilk for for blue specifically. But I I will note this: like I'm running High Tide in my mono blue Tauran deck, and I really don't have much in the way of shenanigans to to do mass untap stuff. And it still doesn't matter. Like if it's turn seven or something, I, and I'm like, oh, I just top back to High Tide. Okay, I guess I'm casting three times as many spells this turn because I turned those seven lands into, you know, I'll spend one to cast high tide, suddenly get 12 mana that I wasn't planning for. Like, even if you're not doing abusive things with it in mono blue, it's still a fantastic card. You could use so many X spells with that too. Right, yeah. Yeah, it's just a great card. Also on the subject of islands, then we've got a couple of cards like Scourge of Fleets, and I think the other one is Whelming Wave, which count the number of islands that you control and then bounce other things that your opponents control based on the number of islands that you have. I mean, that sounds great when you're playing mono blue too. Yeah, um, you know, Scourge of Fleets is actually, I think, kind of an underplayed card. It's really, really pretty good, and it can just bounce everything but your stuff sometimes. Yeah, definitely a lot of fun. Any other standouts for blue that come to mind? I think Inundate is a really, really good card. It's it, it's three and trip blue, but if you're in mono blue, like we mentioned before, that's a really easy thing to cast, and it returns all non-blue creatures to their owner's hands. It does what now? I don't know this card. Yeah, it's uh, it's out of Lorwyn Block. Um, six mana for a sorcery. Return all non-blue creatures to their owner's hands. Joey hmm. got excited. Joey so, yeah, might have to build mono blue now. You're in mono blue. You're just like, oh, well, I'm, you know, it's easy to cast, and half the creatures are getting bounced, and it doesn't touch my stuff. So it's a really slick card. There's also Washout in blue, where you choose a color and bounce all permanents of that color. Um, you know, if you're in two colors, it's okay, but in mono blue... You're just going to hit a bunch of stuff, and it's not going to touch you. Question for you, Dana. Just You'd mentioned that maybe sometimes Mass Calcify doesn't always hit it for you. Do you think that Inundate does? I liked Inund- I had much better luck with Inundate than I did with Mass Calcify, yeah. I don't know why that All is. Right. Um, yeah, I don't know why that was, but I was. I, I had so many times where I was disappointed with Mass Calcify, and I've, I've very rarely ever been unhappy to see Inundate. Well, I'll tell you what, if I'm playing monocolor in each of, either of these, I do want to try them both out for sure. Matt, I think that you wrote down a few other things for blue. I'm going to let you tackle those now. I mean, I, I would be remiss to not mention this card for mono blue decks as it was in my signature spell book, but back to basics. Uh, if you're playing mono blue, chances are you're going to have a lot of islands, a lot of basic lands, because, I mean, maybe a couple utility lands, but if it's a strip mine, use it once and it's done. But back to basics... Uh, it, we we talk all the time about you should play more basics in all your decks. This card punishes people with playing the three and four color decks that get greedy with their mana base. It's so good. It's it's real mean. I'm aware, but it is really good. <laughs> I love that you can say that you know the people who play Teferi are bad, but then you are like, <laughs> yeah, back to basics. Like, because they're making bad. bad deck building decisions. They should play no, more they're basics. Not. Teferi is a perfectly fine commander. It's just very powerful. Play and I think more basics. You're evil. You're just avoiding the problem, which is play more basics. 
Honestly, though, that is one of my biggest weaknesses. I have a lot of multicolor decks, and the number of non-basic lands in them is through the roof. And I completely agree that cards like Back to Basics that punish me for my hubris are absolutely appropriate. I think that people are correct to use that. And yeah, if you're in mono blue and you use a card like Back to Basics and it shuts down all of my tri-lands and my other dual lands and all of those things, and I've got like one forest compared to my other 10 lands or something, then yeah, that's kind of on me, and I think you hit the nail on the head. There's a couple more I'll quick here briefly mention. Um, you have Foil, which is a counterspell. You may discard an island card and another card rather than paying the spell's mana cost to counter target spell. It can be tricky in you know multicolors to just have an island loose in your hand, but if you're playing mono blue and almost all your lands tend to be islands, it makes it way easier to pay that free mana cost on a foil to counter a spell. Nice. All righty. I really like that. And one. there's also Quicksilver Fountain in Mono Blue, which is pretty slick. It's an artifact for three mana. And at the beginning of each player's upkeep, that player puts a flood counter on target non island they control of their choice. And that land becomes an island as long as it has a flood counter on it. At the beginning of each end step, if all the lands in the battlefield are islands, remove all flood counters. That, that never happens. So basically, every turn, a player's lands slowly begin turning to islands. And you don't care because yours are already islands, but everyone else starts losing their land slowly. I, I can't believe I didn't think of that one because I used to play that in my Merfolk Tribal deck. And it basically said, you can't block and you can't block and you can't block. So, right. Oh, because of all of the island yeah. blocks? Yeah. That's funny. I didn't even think about that because it turns them into islands, but they're not like Urborg where it turns them into a swamp in addition to its other stuff. It's just an island right. like Spreading Seas. Yep. Oh, that's rude. Man, you guys are both evil. All right. <laughs> perfect. That's great because we're about to transition into black, which is the most evil and it's the most delicious. And if you ask me, probably has some of the best rewards for playing just mono black compared to any of the other colors, you know, just playing mono white or mono red. You can have a couple of really cool things here and there. But black is like, heck, yeah, you should definitely play mono black because I've got cabal coffers. Cool. I already said that, so we could just move on. <laughs> Okay, fine. But it's not just Cabal Coffers. You've also got Crypt Ghast. You've also got Nirkana Revenant. You've got Bubbling Muck, which is a version of High Tide. Liliana of the Dark Realms also is going to reward you for all of your swamps. Like, there are a bunch of ways to get so much more mana from playing Mono Black than if you were to play in, you know, Black and White, for example. There are a bunch of rewards, a la Cage of Sun, that Black just has naturally. Yeah, yeah black, we, we, black by far has the most ways to double your mana just built into the colors. Yeah, we, and then a bunch of fun ways to use it. Yeah, yeah. We, we, I mean, you, there, you don't call her Big Mana Drana for no reason, exactly, or Big Mana Drana, however you want to say it. But yeah, she does some very crazy things, some very powerful things because Mono Black is so good at getting that critical mass of mana. There's also a couple of other fun ones such as Core Lash, Lash Writhe, Nightmare Lash, Lash 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 stuff where they count the number of swamps that you control and then those things get even bigger for all of those swamps too. I mean, that that can get really nasty. Yeah, stuff like Mutilate too. I mean, it's kind of of that similar vein. Ooh, Mutilate's great because it is sort of like a wrath based on the number of swamps that you have, but it's not a regular wrath because, you know, it can get around indestructible because it's giving the minus. Oh, that's an exciting one too. See, black is amazing. You guys should just play more black. Black is so good, guys. Not going to happen. <laughs> I mean, there's a couple other like similar to Quicksilver Fountain. There's a couple effects like that in black that do kind of nasty things as well. You have Contamination, which is an enchantment, and it does have an upkeep where you have to sacrifice a creature or lose control of it, but... Whenever a land is tapped for mana, it produces black instead of its normal type and amount. 
if you're someone who's not using black, contamination, again, just shuts off your land base. And it doesn't touch so in, in a mono black. It just doesn't touch you. Why do you guys keep talking about things that wreck other people's mana bases? You're all evil. <laughs> it's for the public good. We're warning we, people. This is like a just, gun. This is a gun safety course for magic. We we oh just like God. the finer things in life. That's that's my opinion. <laughs> well, I mean that does actually transition us really well into red because the first thing that we've got written down for things that benefit you in red, it's much like the contamination. It's much like the back to basics. The card is Blood Moon. Yeah, Blood Moon or Magus the card. Moon. Um, Price of Progress is kind of in that thing too. If you're playing mono red, there's a lot of stuff that punish other people for not playing mono red. Yeah, destroys them on their non uh, their mon. Why cannot speak? I'm so flummoxed by Blood Moon. Uh, destroys them for having played a bunch of non basics is what I'm trying to say. Blood Moon turns them all into mountains. Magus the Moon turns them all into mountains. Price of Progress hurts them for all of the non basics that they're playing. It's just so good, but it hurts so bad. The fun thing is, you can Price of Progress people even with a Blood Moon out because they're not basic mountains. They're just non basic mountains. So you still get to dome them for two for every non-basic mountain. That's amazing. I really like that. And we might be hearing a bit more about Price of Progress later on near the end of the show, but I will get to that later. For now, there are a few other things in red that I think are also really interesting, such as Valakut the Molten Pinnacle. Every time that you play mountains, if you've got enough mountains, Valakut's going to deal some damage. That can be a really nice thing to take advantage of when you're in mono-red. Yeah, I mean, I run Valakut in my landfall deck, um, which is Mina and Den, but I intentionally have, you know, I'm running 10 basic mountains in addition to the lands that have the mountain subtype, and I have a lot of landfall triggers and things. So that deck is specifically designed to be able to take advantage of Valakut. If you're playing mono red, you just run Valakut and it accidentally works. <laughs> I mean, and that's an expensive card too. So sure. obviously you don't need it to play, but it's nice to have the option. Yeah, it, if you do happen to have one of them, it, that's a great thing to play. And if you have one, I mean, I would absolutely just put it in your mono red deck and then not think about it again. It's it just like for the cost of coming into play tapped, there's going to be times when you drop it on turn one when you have no one drop and then proceed to play mountains after that. And by turn five, you're just doming people and doming creatures um, with really no downside to it. I've got one more thing that I kind of want to mention for red, and this might be a bit more of a wishy-washy example. I don't know if it's the best example necessarily, but it is at least worth noting that cards like Mana Geyser or Neheb, they add a bunch of mana of one specific color to your mana pool. It's going to be red mana, and they add a bunch of it all at once, but it's just kind of slightly easier to use when you're just in one color as opposed to when you're playing multiple colors. You're not necessarily going to see Mana Geyser in a four-color deck as often, for example, because it only provides the one type of mana. And I think that's at least worth noting as well, that when you're playing big mana effects like that, sometimes the rewards can be a little easier to harness when you're in a single color. Yeah, I've got- I mean, I, I've been blown out by Mana Geyser many times. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, as long as you're able to take advantage of using that mana... Some of those one-shot effects are just fine. I've got one more interesting one here in Mono Red that is a card I've ran in the past in Mono Red decks, and that's Glacial Crevices. It's an enchantment out of Ice Age, and it does require snow mountains to work, but it has a zero-mana activated ability that just says, sacrifice a snow mountain and prevent all combat damage that will be dealt this turn. Now, you're probably, in other colors, again, not going to have 
enough mountains out consistently to have access to that ability. But if you're playing mono red, there's a good chance that, you know, three out of four of your lands are going to be a mountain. And if you've chosen to put in snow mountains, which is something you see fairly frequently in monocolor decks, then you've got a fog effect available at the cost of a land whenever you want to do so. In mono red, that's pretty useful, and it's not something you can do in other colors. That is deeply unusual, and I am 100% here for it. All right, so Mr. Matt Morgan, I know that you love green so much. What are some of your favorite things to do when you're playing mono green to take advantage of the mono greenness of it all? I mean, the new new Nissa who shakes the world doubles all your mana from forest. So I mean, that's a very very good new step to take. Uh, I mean, all the you can do stuff like Utopia Sprawl and all those enchant target forest, and you get to double your mana. Baru Fist of Krosa is excellent actually at doing things like that too so i mean there are too many to count yeah baru fist of crows is an interesting one because dana remind me i think you're running that one in reki history kamigawa is that right i just wound up replacing it with the new mono green ronis um but yeah it's one whenever a forest comes into play all creatures you control get plus one plus one until trample and trample until end of turn so if you're in green and you have, you know, multiple ways to get lands out like green tends to do, oftentimes it's just an overrun that requires no intervention on your part. It just happens. Especially if you can get multiple yep. forests into play. That's, oh man, that's really great. And green is excellent at that. Yeah. It has a lot of rewards for forests as well. I mean, basically anything that says Nissa. You mentioned Nissa who shakes the world, but there's Nissa World Waker who untaps four forests. Nissa's Pilgrimage is a green version of Kodama's Reach and Cultivate. It just finds basic forests, but it has the potential to find more if you've got the spell mastery on it. Nissa's Triumph is another one that also finds basic forests. I mean, there's a bunch of little things like that. And actually, speaking of Nissa who shakes the world, which doubles your forest, I think Vernal Bloom is the card that also doubles your forests. Like, there's a lot of rewards in green as well that are sort of similar to the stuff that we see like Crypt Ghast and Nirkana Revenant in Mono Black. And it also has a couple of Punishers too. Um, you know, you have things like Hall of Gemstone, which is something that punishes people for not running basic lands. Basically, they have to pick a color of mana during their upkeep, and that's the only color of mana their lands can produce that turn. If you're in Mono Green, you don't care. You're going to pick green every turn. But if someone's playing multiple colors, they have to make a decision or hope they have mana rocks to make the other color. That's pretty rude. That's definitely very rude. And there's also Primal Order, which is an older one that says at the beginning of each player's upkeep, Primal Order deals damage to that player equal to the number of non-basic lands they control. And again, in Mono Green, you know, I, would, I don't run it anymore, but I ran it for a while in that deck, and very frequently it would deal no damage to me or maybe one or two, and then I pass the turn to the person playing or dragon who's like, okay, well, I'm taking sixteen. <laughs> Ouch. That's uh that's wonderful. It's good. I am super on board with that. Punishing people for the non-basics is something that I am in favor of, even though I am a person who constantly plays non-basics. But yeah, that's just not as common when you're playing a monocolor deck, and especially in green, where it's all about the you know being natural and having a bunch of forests to take advantage with your stuff like your Nissa. There are a few other examples that I think are jumping out to me that specifically reference green creatures, such as Yeva, Nature's Herald. She gives your green creatures flash. Or Green Sun Zenith. That actually only finds green creatures when it goes in tutors for one in your deck. And that's just going to be a little bit easier to manipulate when you're a mono green deck. It's still a great card in a bunch of other decks too, but the fact that it only finds green creatures is still pretty important. 
Yeah, Green Sun Zenith and Natural Order, being able just to find your haymakers whenever you need them is a pretty powerful effect. Also of note, speaking of green creatures, uh, what is the Planeswalker in mono green Freyalise, Llanowar's Fury? She like can destroy artifacts and, and enchantments, or she can make you you know little Llanowar elves, but her ultimate, quote-unquote, is to draw a card for each green creature you control. I mean, that seems much more at home in a mono green deck than anywhere else. Yeah, uh, in, in you know some of those tutors too, like you have a lot of the green creature tutors specify only going to get a green creature. You know, if you're playing a three color deck or something, that's really going to limit what stuff you can go grab. If you also have a bunch of white creatures and, and red creatures or what have you, if you're playing mono green, it just says go get a creature. And then finally, there are two more enchantments that I think are pretty interesting that actually reference forests. Lost in the Woods. This isn't one that I've actually seen played, but I think it is pretty cute. Whenever a creature attacks you, you flip the top card of your deck, and if it's a forest, that creature gets lost in the woods and has to stop attacking you. I mean, that's pretty great if you've got, you know, 30-something forests in your deck. Uh, Gaia's Touch is another one that if you're in mono green is sort of like an other version of exploration because it allows you to put a basic forest from your hand into play for free sort of like an extra exploration. I mean, that's just another nice thing to take advantage of as well. And that's just much harder to do for both of those enchantments when you're playing more than just the one color. Yeah, yeah. I think that's a good point. And there's one more card I will mention here that's not just about green, but this applies to all um, kind of monocolor decks. Terrain Generator is a really, really decent card. It's a land that lets you tap to get a colorless mana, or you can spend two and tap it to put a basic land card from your hand into play tapped. I've tried Terrain Generator before in two-color decks, and there was just enough times where I just didn't have a basic to put into play, even though I had the mana free and the Terrain Generator out. If you're in a monocolor deck, almost all your lands are going to work with Terrain Generator. I think it's a really, really good card in monocolor decks, and that's where it shines. I don't think it really, for the most part, is that useful elsewhere, but it's great in monocolor. You know what? I think that's a really good pick. And that also should transition us right into our final segment, Challenging the Stats. There are some statistics on EDHREC, you may have noticed, but we don't always think that those statistics are necessarily correct. And so we sometimes want to say that, you know, maybe those statistics are showing that a card is played too much or that a card is played too little. So on this subject of all of these amazing mono-colorednesses, I feel like we should challenge some stats on that front. I'd hinted at earlier the challenge, the stats that I have for this week, the card price of progress. That's the thing that I want to get back on. This card has really caught my attention recently. Like we mentioned earlier, one in a red instant deals damage to each player equal to twice the number of non-basic lands that player controls. It hits you too, but if you are paying attention and you know that your deck is built with this card in mind, you can really punish some people. A lot of people are playing multiple colors, which means a lot of non-basic lands, and Price of Progress can easily hit someone for like 14 or 16 damage or something. That is a big chunk of damage, and I definitely think that people should be playing it a lot more than it is currently seeing. Yeah, I would agree. Um, it, it, it's a win condition sometimes. Like, like, yeah, I mean, I, I've lost that card more than once. Yeah, well, especially if you're playing some sort of burn-style deck, I mean, paying only two mana to get 10 damage worth to every player, that's very, very relevant. Yeah, I mean, I use the card... Uh, what is it, Treacherous Terrain in my group hug deck, and that deals damage to each opponent equal to the number of lands that they control, but frankly, Price of Progress could also probably get me there just based off of the games that I'm seeing. 
Like, when was the last time that you saw someone who had, like, fewer than five non-basic lands in play? That's very, very common for me, which means that that is a two-mana spell that does ten damage to people. Like, it could hit you too, but I don't know. If you're playing a deck like Neheb or something, like, then you're going to turn all of that pain into even more advantage. Or something like Rakdos as well. You're going to be able to use that life loss in a really effective way. And it could also just be a win condition on its own. I think this is a great way for a monocolored deck to take advantage of its monocoloredness, and that is a really, really cool spell to use, regardless of the deck that you're playing it in, if you were going to punish your enemies for their hubris, in the same way that Matt and Dana like to punish me for mine. I mean, well, I do like punishing you, yes. So you, I, <laughs> I, I can't get behind this pick on that sole basis alone. All right, let's go on to your challenge the stats, Matt. So mine is for mono white decks. Uh, it's a card that I wanted to bring up, but I, I figured it'd be best safer here. But Brave the Elements is a instant for one white, and it says choose, choose a color. White creatures you control gain protection from the chosen color until end of turn. It is currently only played in 1,470 decks total. Uh, and if you look at the top commanders, it's a lot of mono white, a lot of kind of white weenie go wide type stuff. Uh, but the highest percentage is uh, God Eternal Oketra, which is weird because... God Eternal Oketra makes black zombie creatures, which aren't really affected by Brave the Elements. But I think that in a, if you're playing mono white, you obviously don't have access to cards like Boros Charm or Heroic Intervention. So having something like Brave the Elements as a way to uh, get rid, get around a Blasphemous Axe, for example, saves your board. Um, somebody's trying to pick off some things, targeting your creatures. Uh, it's a good way to save them. It's kind of a maybe an extra copy of Teferi's Protection, for example. But another fun thing, too, is if somebody else is playing a deck and they all their blockers are a certain color, you can use that and, you know, alpha strike in and push all your creatures through. So it's a good utility spell. It's not super powerful. It's not going to win you games consistently, but it's going to fill that niche of mono white cards that work around and, and help build when you don't have three copies of Teferi's Protection, for example. I mean, that Teferi's Protection analogy is... Oh, it's, a it's a little far-fetched. It's a little far-fetched. ridiculous. <laughs> that card is absolutely ridiculous, for sure. But I really like the Brave the Elements pick, actually. Like, Mono White can definitely use this. Mm-hmm. That protection is deeply versatile. Almost annoyingly versatile. Mm-hmm. I mean, even the, now that I'm thinking about it, if they've enchanted your commander with something unfriendly then you can also give them protection from the color of that enchantment and then it would fall off. Like, there's some versatility to that, too. I, I'm really liking this pick. I think that mono white decks could see a little bit more on that, too. Yeah, I'm on board. Dana, let's round it up with yours. Well, we talked about High Tide in mono blue. That's in almost 6,000 decks. And you mentioned Bubbling Muck. That's in 1,500 decks in black. But one card we didn't mention that's in only 600 decks, and that's green's early harvest which is two green and a colorless three mana instant speed target player untaps all basic lands he or she controls and it's probably a card you only want to run in mono green Um, but again kind of like high tide oftentimes it's just accidentally pretty solid because it provides you with a boost of mana like a ritual even without doing anything abusive but you went over that whole list of mana doublers available to mono green. And if you just have one of them out, that, that boost is that much bigger because you, you know, tap all your lands out, float that mana, cast early harvest, untap them all, and double up the doubling you're already getting. It's a really, really good card for a blowout turn in mono green, and it's only in 600 decks. 
That seems criminal. I love this. Yeah, I mean, I, I run it in my recce deck, and it's it's a card that if I draw it and I'm at that point in the game, it makes me win that turn. And if I'm not at that point in the game, it sets me up by making that turn really, really big to get me to that point where I can cast that win turn. Fantastic. So, guys, do you have any other final sage words of advice about playing monocolored as opposed to multicolored? I think one thing that we actually missed that we probably should touch on is monocolor decks generally are going to be a little more budget friendly. Uh, mm. Mana bases can get expensive. We talk about fetch lands and you can talk about shock lands, duels, all that. If everything is a mountain that you can get from your game store for free, your mana base gets much, much cheaper and therefore your deck generally will be much cheaper as well. I think that's a great point. Absolutely. One thing I will also note about mono decks, and I think this is one of the reasons I have a couple of them, is I sometimes struggle with having too many options, and it, it makes it difficult to build a deck sometimes when I'm like, okay, I want to run all of these good removal spells and all these good board wipes and all these good draw spells, and when you're in a three-color deck, that's three times as many options you have to put those cards in that deck. And, and, and I do sometimes like deal with decision paralysis where... I want to run all of these things and I don't have room for them. Monocolor does kind of eliminate some of that. You, you have a, a much more limited pool of cards you have to choose from. And I, I think it's just sometimes easier to build a deck, even if you are going to have to deal with some glaring weaknesses. And I would also note about those weaknesses, that can be kind of fun too. Like having to figure out how to play around a weakness or work around one in a monocolor deck can be an interesting challenge unto itself. I completely agree on that note. That is one final thing that I wanted to bring up as well. I'm thinking of, for example, playing mono green, and maybe some of our weaknesses might be, you know, flying creatures, but there actually are some interesting ways for you to work around that in mono green. You don't have to ally yourself with another color so that you can get defense in the air. You can actually use a couple of things like Whip Tongue Hydra, which just annihilates a bunch of really obnoxious flyers on everyone else's side of the field. Or if you're in green and you don't have as much artifact or enchantment-based stuff going on, play Bane of Progress and it wrecks everyone else and leaves you basically untouched. You know, actually harnessing the power of those weaknesses, which is a weird sentence to say, but does kind of make sense when you think about it. Like harnessing that can actually be used to your advantage. And it's a really fun game to try and play with yourself to see if you can use those in your monocolor deck without necessarily shoring up the weaknesses by using another color, actually leaning into them a little bit more to find even more strength. Yeah, I completely agree. All right, folks, super fun listeners. You'll have to let us know if you have any monocolored tips as well and which monocolored decks you enjoy playing. But on that note, I think we're going to call this episode to a close. I'd like to thank my co-hosts so much for joining me. And if any of our listeners would like to get in touch with us, where can they find you all? Matt? You can find me on the Twitters at Mathemus55, M-A-T-H-I-M-U-S-5-5. And Dana? You can find me on Twitter at Dana Roach, and you can hear me twice a week on my other podcast, CMDR Central. And I'm Joey Schultz. You can find me at Joseph M. Schultz on Twitter. Special thanks to our editor for the show, Ken Peddle, also known as Kenish Norn. You can follow him on Twitter at Loader. That's L-O-A-D-3-R. You can follow EDHREC and the cast on Facebook and Twitter, and you can contact us at EDHRECcast at gmail.com. 
Plus, you can find us on iTunes. And if you do, please consider leaving us a review to help other folks find the podcast as well. This cast is posted every week on EDHREC's Community Content Spotlight section, where we feature as many other content creators as we can, from Command Zone to Commander's Brew to Commander Versus, not to mention new articles published every day by our own fantastic team of writers. We'll be back at you next week with more data and insights. But until then, remember, EDH wreck your deck before you wreck your deck. Like, oh man, no, I cannot stand them. I think that the writing around them is constantly clumsy. I don't like it at all. Sorry Just you've don't. never I'm sorry you've never felt anguish and loss and let that cloud your judgment, Joey. They're just tonally weird movies. Like, there are movies in the MCU that take themselves very seriously. And then there are ones that are very funny. And like Guardians is trying to do both and failing to both. I just don't like them. I don't even know what to yeah, say. Yeah, bringing the mood I down, aren't I? I don't even know what yeah. to say to that. You've broken my heart, Joseph. This is, I've broken your heart already. I told you this like a year ago. I know, but you're re-breaking it. I picked up the pieces and now they're just shattered again.